Chris Stoner is the owner of Baltimore Sports and Life. BSL is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. Other parts of BSL include the networking events, Baltimore Metro Business Development, BMBD, the Business Development Group Paysetters, and the site Baltimore 2029, which aims to celebrate the best of Charm City as Baltimore nears its 300th anniversary. This show will be utilized for discussion on sports and Baltimore as a whole. Discuss the show at the BSL message board and check out the other BSL radio offerings. Welcome in. I'm joined today by Nathan Marie's uh, Orioles beat writer for the Baltimore Sun. Nathan, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you joining. Uh, You've been with the Suns since March 2019, so you come on year one of uh, the uh, rebuild. Here in year year two, you're dealing with uh, COVID. Uh, Talk about yourself and that transition uh, uh, coming into a new city and then also what you're dealing with uh, this year uh, covering the team from uh, uh, and everything you're having to deal with COVID. Yeah, last year I really came in and, and just hit the ground running. I uh, was covering Oklahoma State, my alma mater for the Oklahoman. I, I wrapped up covering the, the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City. And then straight from there, basically moved from Oklahoma to Baltimore, missed spring training. Uh, my, my first game on the beat was the home opener last year. And, and, and obviously the, the season the Orioles had was was an interesting one to cover. Uh, you know, they set, I got to see a lot of records be set, not always good records, but uh, it was an interesting season to watch, a good welcoming. And li- like you said, I came in right as the rebuild was starting. So I kind of got to see the first steps of that and, and um, get to know Michael Elias, Sigma Dell, and, and the processes they're going through. And I was excited for um, a, a second go at that this year and, and get to cover my first spring training. And I was out there for just a couple of weeks before obviously everything uh, got shut down with the pandemic situation. And and since then, over the last four months, I've been split. Basically, the Baltimore Sun obviously is trying to optimize um, its workers, and I've been handling a lot of coronavirus-related stories, uh, written a lot of you know interesting stories over the past couple months, wrote about a nurse uh, who split time in the Navy or used to work for the Navy, and now she's a nurse on the front lines of the coronavirus. And I think there's, you know, I think it's been a good opportunity for me to kind of flex some of those storytelling muscles that I, I showed last year on the Orioles beat. Um, obviously now getting back into it with baseball being back for however long it's back. And, and yeah, looking forward to hopefully telling some more oral stories over the next couple of months. As you mentioned, you uh, went to Oklahoma state. Uh, I know while you were there, you covered uh, football, basketball, in addition to baseball. And then I saw you later did the same for the Oklahoman. I uh, also saw you had internships with uh, the Reno Gazette and Dallas morning news, and then time with MLB advanced media. Did you, always uh, want to be baseball? Yeah, baseball was always kind of my go-to sport. I played it growing up. Um, you know, the reason I wanted to be a sports writer was to become a baseball writer. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, as a student at OSU, get the opportunity to cover the team my freshman year there, continue that through college and then through my time at the Oklahoman. Um, you know, this position came open and I was fortunate enough to get it and, and you know, enjoying it so far. So baseball's been back for a week. We're embracing the weird. I guess we could talk about the uh, geographical element, the expanded rosters, universal DH, the extra inning rule, three batter rule, the uh, shortened double headers now. But let's talk about uh, the Orioles playing country boy in the seventh inning stretch or the uh, scoreboard having the uh, rain delay advice. Uh, it, it, it just uh, uh, 
aside there. Just kind of a strange element for you, I would imagine, in the press box uh, as uh, they're trying to maintain an element of of normalcy, but it's an adjustment for everybody. And uh, so what's it like being there in a uh, in that environment where it's uh, where they're trying to maintain normalcy, but nothing is normal. Yeah, it's obviously a strange experience. I obviously wasn't on the beat in 2015 for the no fans game, so I really didn't have anything to kind of compare it to. Uh, the first opportunity I got to to do that was one of the inner squads, and at first, you know, you kind of just it, everything kind of feels normal, really, until you think about it. I've talked about that a bit with my beat partner John Mioli. Is is you're just watching what's happening on the field. It's you know, it's just baseball. Everything seems pretty normal. I think one thing that really pulled me out of um, you know, I covered a game at Camden Yards the other night. One thing that really pulled me out of it was a foul ball got hit, and I kind of just, like, tracked the ball into the empty stands, and then you're like, oh, yeah, like, no, it's here. It's it's just, like, a very strange feeling. Um, I, again, like, I think if you're just kind of watching what's happening on the field, you're able to kind of just focus in on that, and maybe all the outside factors don't become as big of a deal. But the second that you really kind of back yourself out of it and really think, oh, there's no one here, and there's no one here because there's a nationwide pandemic happening, it becomes, like, a very strange circumstance. So due to the uh, COVID outbreak with the Marlins, that home-and-home home series got put on the shelf. The uh, schedule was adjusted to have the Yankees in town this week. Uh, they picked up the regular schedule this weekend with the Rays. Uh, have you seen the current plan for Monday or Tuesday? Uh, I know the Yankees are on the 5th, which is Wednesday, and Thursday are scheduled off, but I haven't yet to see plans for Monday and Tuesday. Have you? I thought the Orioles were scheduled to play the Yankees starting Monday, but I have, I don't I kind of live that day to day life like Brandon Hyde talks about living that day to day life. So um, whenever it comes up, that's when I uh, deal with it. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this is in flux, as we've heard, and you mentioned earlier. You know, the doubleheaders to try to sort everything out. But um, so yeah, I guess the Orioles are off Monday and Tuesday. I, I think I, there's a lot, a lot, of, a lot, a lot of moving parts in this, and obviously, I think things could be. Um, opened up in the near future um, as they kind of try to adjust these schedules and sort things out. I guess Monday and Tuesday got opened up for the Yankees-Phillies makeups as I kind of think things through. Um, but there's just you hear about what's happening with the Cardinals and obviously the Marlins. You know, there's new cases each day. So I think there's so much of this that's in flux. And MLB's goal is to get every team 60 games. And, and obviously we don't even know if we'll get, get to a season on Monday as, as things stand right now. So um, a lot to be sorted out, but I, I'm sure, you know, the Orioles are, are doing their best. They've been relatively um, safe in all this in terms of what they've had to deal with. Obviously, Chris Chris Davis had a bit of a scare and Cole Stewart decided to opt out. But beyond that and, and those two early intake tests with Dwight Smith Jr. and Anthony Santander, everything's been pretty clear. Yeah, I think what you said there was key. It's, uh, you know, being adaptable every day in this environment and just uh, uh, kind of living day to day. Uh, it seemed clear that the Orioles wanted to have uh, Mount Castle down long enough to gain that additional uh, year of team control. Uh, we've heard conflicting reports. Did he have to be down one week or was it 20 days? And, and do we have a have an answer on that? Well, I mean, to get to save the service time, it would only be a week. Um, for the 20 days thing might play into like a super two factoring where they like don't have to give him an extra year of arbitration. Um, but I, I think, you know, we, we see it, you know, th there's an op opportunity for him here. If they wanted him here, he would be here. Um, obviously, you know, they're using, um, the reasons of, of his defense in, in the outfield and that continuing to be groomed and his plate discipline. But I, I don't think there's any question that Ryan Mountcastle would be one of the best 30 Orioles, 
so I think when the opportunity presents itself, whenever they feel like, hey, I think the timing of it is, is good, he'd be here. Um, and it'll be interesting to see when they make that decision for sure. So Means made his debut this week and uh, showed off some increased velocity. Uh, uh, also, uh, change is being thrown a, a bit harder. Uh, what, do you, what do you think the Orioles have in Means overall? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think when you look at what he did last year, throwing four miles per hour or so softer than he was um, last night or the other night, he obviously, uh, you know, he, he he's a middle of the rotation guy. I think maybe in the long term, if you look at what they want, a guy like D.L. Hall, a guy like Grayson Rodriguez, even a guy like Mike Bauman to develop into. I don't think other teams necessarily see John Means as a top of the rotation guy, but obviously he was an all-star rookie of the year runner-up. And if you bring in that added velocity – and you look at that changeup and how devastating of a pitch that was last year. You mix in the breaking balls that are, are that are getting better. Uh, he really could work his way into being, you know, um, a top of the rotation guy in the long term. Obviously, he's the ace of this team right now, even if the other night didn't show it. But I think in the long run, the Orioles are really excited about what they have in John Means. Obviously, he's a guy who, throughout his rise up the minor leagues, was never seen as as much of a top prospect. But obviously, from what we've seen from the jump from from the 2018 season to the 2019 season and just based off velocity from the 2019 season to the 2020 season, he's a guy who's shown a really good uh, improvement mindset, a guy who really wants to grow with each outing, each game, each season. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, once the Orioles are ready to be competitive over a full 162 games, what kind of piece, what kind of role he's playing. Tonight's star- starter is LeBlanc. Uh, there's also Wojciechowski Malone in the rotation. I'm of the opinion that I'd rather see Aiken and Kremer in the rotation. You could argue both are, uh, could use that additional AAA seasoning if there was an actual uh, minor league uh, play going on. I guess my thought is that I'd rather them both be getting – they're both potential options uh, going forward uh, that could plausibly help the roster, probably back-end starters. But I like to see them in the competitive environment, whereas you know the aforementioned three guys. Um, I mean, they are what they are. You know, they might be ahead of uh, Aiken and Kremer today, um, but they're not long-term options. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Uh, do you see Aiken and Kremer coming up and starting uh, during this season? Yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility, but I think I get the logic behind uh, Wojciechowski, uh, uh, Wade LeBlanc, and Tommy Malone. Just when you look at what the Orioles dealt with last year, especially with the case of LeBlanc and Malone, they didn't really have a lot of veteran starters. Alex Cobb got hurt. Andrew Kashner got traded. They were a lot, relying on a lot of guys in that rotation who really didn't have a whole lot of experience. That includes John Means and Asher Wojciechowski. But, um, and I think, obviously, in the long run, you'd like to see Dean Kramer and, and uh, Keegan Aiken get, get some run this year. Um, and get some opportunities, whether it be in a long relief role as a starter, um, in in whatever kind of role they want to use them in. I think you'll see those two guys up at some point um, before the end of September if, if the season gets that far. But I, I think it, it they really value right now having those veteran presences. Obviously, Malone Malone's debut didn't go that sharply. Wade LeBlanc was solid. Uh, Wojciechowski kind of had some issues as well. But um, I think those are three guys that they're happy to have um, some experience in their rotation because that's something they really didn't have at all last year. Yeah, one note on Wojciechowski, while he's uh, older and he's probably more of that uh, quad A starter or a uh, preferably a uh, reliever or a piggyback starter, he does have some swing and miss stuff. Do you, do you think he could be uh, – would you like to see him um, – What if you're thinking into 21, are you looking at him as a bullpen-type option? Uh, that could potentially help for 
you know, kind of as a, um, again, kind of more piggyback type of starter if you have some younger arms in the rotation, having that extended depth with him. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see you mentioned the swing and miss stuff, and obviously that showed the, the other night in the home opener. I think he's a guy who who has an interesting repertoire for sure. Um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of role develops for him, especially if Aiken and Kramer get opportunities um, later this season and then become positioned to, to make the rotation out of camp next year. Um, Alex Cobb might still be around. John Means will still be around. So it'll be interesting to see what that mix looks like. I think he's a guy – who, who is maybe a candidate to be in the bullpen this year before Cole Stewart decided to opt out and that kind of limited their options. And he's a guy who, again, if Aiken and Kramer come up at some point this year and he's not pitching well, he may be a guy who gets moved into the bullpen just to give those two guys opportunities to start. So I think there's a lot of flexibility with him. I do think the repertoire, the swing and miss stuff, do kind of uh, create the opportunity for him to be someone who, who fits into a lot of different roles. Obviously, long-term, uh, the Orioles are looking at Rodriguez and Hall to kind of uh, – lead the rotation, but in addition to Kremer and Aiken, you've got guys like Ballman, Loafer, Zimmerman, and Wells who each have uh, – there's some reason to be optimistic about each. Ballman's there at uh, Bowie. Uh, Loafer, Zimmerman, and Wells, any any news on, on that group? Do you, are we expecting them at Bowie? Uh, and just kind of your general takes on, on those kind of six guys as a whole. Who are you most excited about in that group? Yeah, I think the three lefties who aren't in the player pool are maybe the ones who are most kind of in terms of just like a pure baseball standpoint among the most adversely affected by this situation. Um, because those Zimmerman in particular is pitching really well. He was getting starts in, in the first edition of spring training. He was a guy who looked like he was maybe of that AAA group of starters, one of the guys who was closest to the majors, obviously wasn't on the 40-man, so there would have been some complications there. But he was pitching well. He was making an impression. Um, Lowther and Wells were two guys who probably had a, a great shot of making the team at some point throughout the 2020 season. So I think those are three guys who who had unfortunate breaks. Obviously, you know, Lowther and Wells are guys who had a, had a lot of success coming up despite maybe not having a traditional repertoire, but being, obviously just being left-handed, add some craftiness. Zimmerman's an interesting guy, obviously acquired in, in, in that flurry of trades the Orioles made in the 2018 season. I think they really like Mike Bauman. He's obviously spiked up um, prospect list. The no-hitter uh, last year obviously helped him in, in – in, Getting, getting risen up. Uh, Kramer and Aiken, I think you mentioned, are probably the most likely two of, of those pitchers to to make a debut this year, especially when you consider that half that group isn't obviously at the alternate site. Um, Bauman's an interesting piece. He hadn't pitched above double-A before this year, so I don't know that he'll necessarily get the opportunity. But um, if the Orioles are, are somehow in contention, you know, 45 games in, and they decide, hey, let's let's use this gas arm and, and put it in a bullpen role in some way, it'll be interesting to see um, if he becomes some some sort of a weapon for them. Currently, uh, there's a 30-man roster that becomes a 28-man roster on the 15th day. And then on the 29th day, basically in the September, uh, there's a 26-man roster. Did that play in at all to the uh, trade of Blyer? Yeah, it's hard to say. I think that's a really interesting move. You look at, obviously, the Marlins situation where more than half half their roster has gotten a positive test. And um, I think, you know, Michael Elias is a kind of exploring opportunities. Blyer's a guy who's reached arbitration. He's, he's a lot older, I think, you know, obviously was kind of a late bloomer in terms of reaching the major leagues. Um, important piece of that bullpen. He's a guy who's going to pitch in the late innings, maybe get some save opportunities for the Orioles. Uh, you know, I don't, I, there's been some reports out there that they're going to extend the 30 man roster through the season, just kind of to account for all this, all these various things that are happening in the country. But I, I think, 
Um, yeah, it's an interesting move. Obviously, the Orioles feel a little better about their depth. Paul Fry and Tanner Scott give them a couple lefties and a bunch of the pitchers we mentioned um, down in the minors as well. It'll be interesting to see how they address those situations. And you never know. I mean, this Blyer move, it might, before this is posted, this might honestly be the case. But it's been a week into the season. They could just use that open roster spot to call up Ryan Mountcastle. But that might, but that might be wishful thinking. Uh, yeah. So as you mentioned, Cole Stewart has opted out. Blyer has been traded. Carroll's back to Bowie. So if we're looking at the rest of the bullpen as a whole, obviously Harvey and Tate are, are injured. We'll get to them in a second. But uh, kind of thinking right, right now and then maybe where the roster's going, if it doesn't stay extended, you have Givens, Solcer, Scott, Fry, Lakings, Armstrong, and Castro. Um, you know, just kind of going through them a little bit. Uh, obviously excited about Scott's arm long-term, see about the control well, he was interesting, I guess, uh, uh, last night where he didn't have uh, the fastball control, but secondary stuff looked uh, uh, better. But give me uh, quick thoughts on uh, Sulcer and uh, uh, Lakins. I thought Sulcer coming back last night after after the blown save was impressive, and, and Lakins had the nice outing versus New York. Yeah, Brandon Hyde called him gutsy Cole Sulcer. Obviously, the what we saw against New York the other night was not – what the Orioles had seen out of him. Obviously, there's a lot of trust and stuff in him. If you're going to let his team debut be a two-inning save, that says a lot about what they think of him. They've had three save opportunities thus far this season. He's gotten all three of them. Some of that factor might be not wanting Michael Gibbons to work multiple innings, which we know is an issue in 2019. Um, but I think it might just be a situation where if Hunter Harvey was around, maybe he would have gotten those opportunities. And and obviously, Hunter Harvey, you mentioned we talked about him later, but he's a guy who, if he's around, the bullpen gets a lot deeper. Um, and he really eats things out last last summer. So um, I think Cole Solcer obviously brings an interesting arm. They really like his split-fingered fastball and the ability to get out left-handers with it. Uh, obviously, it didn't work against Aaron Judge the other night, but I, I think he's a player who um, kind of just fits this continuing mold of you look at a Renato Nunez, a Rio Ruiz, a Hansel Alberto, Pedro Severino, these guys who um, didn't really get full opportunities with other teams and are getting them in Baltimore, and it'll be interesting to see if over the next 60 games he can take advantage of it. It's an interesting group back there, and if they do have the extended rosters, I mean, they kind of are um, – they can minimize the primary weakness on the roster, which is the rotation, and, you know, it gives them uh, an ability to be more competitive. It's uh, Especially if, you, as you said, you get Harvey and Tate back up uh, prospectively there. So kind of an interesting group, just see how that progresses. Also kind of thinking with the Blyer trade, uh, you know, maybe you wind up seeing a Blanc or Malone in, in uh, kind of that – additional lefty capacity out of the pen if they bring up one of the younger arms to start, but something to watch there. Uh, Ruiz, Nunez, Alberto kind of each came into the year with uh, some upside. Each have some questions. Uh, They're each getting that additional opportunity here in 20. Uh, Who out of that tree interests you the most? I think in the long term, Rio Ruiz, I mean, hands are Alberto. It's obviously like blowing everyone's impressions away, had a great, 2019 having a great start to 2020 but I think when you look at Rio Ruiz and what he offers is from the left side plays great defense at third base um I, I think he's an interesting piece he's he's a younger guy he's played five like I didn't know realize this until I was looking up him up the other day but he's played parts of five seasons in the major leagues now um but you know you, you look at what he did at the end of last year um once he got promoted or promoted back from a dip in the minor leagues. He's slugged over 500 since coming back, obviously showing some power early this year. But he's a guy who's really interesting. Obviously, Hans Roberto, like I mentioned earlier, really exciting guy, um, a little singles heavy, so it'll be interesting to see what long-term role he plays. But the Orioles also don't have a whole lot of 
middle infield depth in the minor leagues. So he's a guy who might get a continued opportunity here. Uh, Renato Nunez obviously provides a lot of power, but I, I think when you look at both the A's left-handed swing and, and what he does defensively, I think Rio Ruiz is probably the one who interests me the most. Santander, he had a, he had a nice year last year. I thought overall he struggled in September down the stretch. Uh, how do you see him? Do you see him as a kind of on a contending first division team? Do you see him as a a piece, a starter, a starter, or do you see him more as a uh, platoon outfielder, platoon DH type? I think he's a player who really put himself in contention of being that like starter on the next playoff team role. Obviously, this is an organization that has a lot of long term depth in the minor leagues. Whether you know talking about Trey Mancini coming back and obviously first base outfield with him. Look at Ryan Mountcastle. You look at Austin Hayes, Santander. You've got Eusenio Diaz at Bowie. They just drafted Heston Kerstad. So there's a lot of um, long-term outfield pieces in this organization. And I think Santander, with what he did last year and what he's done to start this year, at least, he's put himself in that conversation. Obviously, um, we're a couple years away probably from this being a, a more firm conversation. But I think he's a guy who's definitely put himself in that conversation. Hayes came up last September, had a uh, great run both offensively and with the glove, making a number of different uh, highlight-level catches. What do the Orioles feel they have with his uh, defense in center field, and uh, particularly in the routes that he takes? Obviously, he's got the speed and athleticism. Where does his game need further uh, refining uh, defensively, and do they believe he is, uh, at least offensively, the long-term option in center field? I think they'd like him to be for sure. I think, uh, you know, the opportunity is there for him. He made the highlight plays last year. Uh, I, I think they're really, they're, they're really happy with how pleased he is with um, his growth in that area. I think in the long term, obviously, they'd like for him to be able to, to slot in in center field in the leadoff spot um, in, in, in the long run. And I, I think this is his season to be able to do that. Obviously, we saw what he did in September, and, and they're just hoping to kind of continue that going forward. Long term, we know who the uh, catcher is going to be in Baltimore, but you have Saravino and Cisco now. Cisco was the highly regarded prospect for some time. Saravino, interesting week with him with uh, uh, two catcher interferences in one inning, which no one's ever seen before, and then home runs the back uh, the last two nights. Uh, and he's been getting, uh, I believe, the majority of the playing time, I believe five of the six games he's started. Uh, do you expect the playing time to uh, be more equal the rest of the way, or do you think Saravino is the starter? Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at what Pedro's done to start this year and you look at the two big home runs, the one the other night and the last two nights, um, I think he's a guy who's really kind of grasped that role away from Francisco. I think at times last year it was the platoon. But Pedro Severino is obviously kind of the, the, the locked-in guy, it seems like, at least early on. Brandon Hyde willing to – play him on opening day and then in a day game the next the next day. So I think he's a guy who has, again, within that mold of Nunez and Ruiz and Alberto, he's come over from another organization and got an opportunity, and to this point he's taking advantage of it. Uh, DJ Stewart, kind of a, a interesting start for him. Over 10, it's 10 at bats. Don't read, you know, not going to read too much into it. Uh, two sack bunts, probably don't expect to see that. Uh, if the year had started on time, he would have been on the uh, injured list. With the season starting in July, he's able to be part of the uh, uh, the opening lineup. With Mancini's uh, cancer issue, he, you know, creates further opportunity for a guy like Stewart. What do the Orioles uh, need to see from him uh, over the remaining uh, you know fifty plus games? 
Yeah, I mean, in Norfolk, right before he got called up last year, he was tearing the cover off the ball, and they just haven't seen that player in Baltimore. Obviously, he had some injury issues last year, the concussion on the fly ball. He hurt his ankle, and that obviously caused him issues to start what we thought would be this year. And um, But between him and Cedric Mullins, you know, he's got an 0 for 17 start. So I think, ideally, um, you know, I think in the long term, that's probably a role that Ryan Mountcastle should carve out, but it'll be interesting to see what the Orioles do. So... Davis, obviously, we know the struggles that he's had in 18 and 19 particularly. Tough to watch. For me, it's more of um, you know, kind of reminds me of a knob block or Steve Sachs or Rick Ankeel more than a true physical decline, even though he is older and there's probably some deterioration there. Big spring, summer he looked good as well. I, again, only a handful of bats so far uh, this year. But if it becomes a uh, prolonged stretch, is he going to, you know, do you think the, he winds up on the bench, maybe uh, Stewart at first and Mancini has that opportunity in left field? Is that where, where you see things going? It's hard to know. Obviously, he had the the great spring before everything got shut down. But of course, in, in that circumstance, you're getting you're facing pitchers who are just trying to get their work in. They're not necessarily trying to to beat you. They might just be. I'm working on my breaking ball today. I'm working on getting my fastball in the outside corner today. So, um, obviously, the the success he had back in March hasn't translated now five months later. Um, but I think that the Orioles are really happy with the work he put in this off season. I think they're interested to see maybe. Um, again, we're talking about a really small sample size here, but I think they're hopeful that over the course of things, um, you know, the back end of this contract can be a little more productive. I don't think it'll be as productive as, as the stretch that earned him this deal. But I, I think, you know, the Orioles believe that there's something in there because otherwise they, I think they would be handling this whole situation a little differently. Uh, I missed the last couple of days with, uh, uh, I, I guess he was just sore, but Iglesias, uh, I'm sure the Orioles, when they signed him, they didn't anticipate him being the, Three-hole hitter, but a uh, uh, nice first week for him, showing some uh, uh, gap power and uh, building off of his uh, solid offensive year last year. Uh, did the Orioles feel like he's made adjustments here later in his career and that he, he there might be more there than they first realized? Yeah, I mean, obviously he showed um, some offense last year since in Cincinnati. That was pretty much his best offensive year of his career. Um, so I think they feel like there's something in there. Again, I don't know if there's – uh, you know, he's a long-term three-hole hitter for them. But I think he's a guy who, again, organizationally, they don't have a lot of middle infield depth, offers kind of a, a nice stopgap for them. I think they would have hoped that Richie Martin would have gotten some opportunity to develop this year, obviously, between the short minor league season and, and now his, or the canceled minor league season and now his broken wrist. He's not going to get that opportunity. Um, they have a few other guys, Mason McCoy, Ryland Bannon, Adam Hall, who I think in the long term they'd be excited about as maybe being, you know, a potential player in the middle infield. But um, I think they're they're excited with what Iglesias provides. That they've really emphasized his leadership to this point. He's made that point. Um, he's being, you know, he's trying to be a leader, a veteran, a, a you know, a good clubhouse guy. And so I think you know if, if he can play that role over the next two years, I think they'll be really excited about that. Yep. So last question for you. So Alex Cobb has got a had his first two starts. Uh, obviously missed most of last year. Was solid in the second half of eighteen. After a slow start, he's on the contract through next year. And there's also Third money through uh, 25. Um, my general thought there is that uh, the Orioles, through their rebuild, they have established payroll flexibility going forward. Um, I don't see a ton of need uh, for the Orioles to eat the remainder of his contract 
to move him. I don't think there's anything that he's going to do on the field right now that's going to have anybody uh, uh, moving anything of real value if at the Orioles particularly eating the uh, rest of his contract. And I think if you look ahead to 21 and you're thinking uh, some of these younger arms that we've uh, mentioned that are coming up, at least it would be a another veteran presence. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Uh, do you think he is back with the Orioles next year? Or do you think the Orioles will be looking to move him, partic- particularly in the offseason, if he uh, finishes uh, strong here in, in the rest of 20? Yeah, I mean, I think it, the opportunity to play a whole 60 games would be really important to him and to be able to get, you know, 11, 12, 13 starts in over the course of the season would mean a lot to just kind of establishing his health, um, you know, kind of backing up the worth of that contract. Um, I think the Orioles would explore the opportunity. I highly doubt they'll try to trade him this year, mostly because, like you mentioned, no one's really going to try to get a guy who's made six starts coming off a pretty intense surgery and missed all of last year with injuries. Um, and also the difficulties of trying to trade someone with obviously traveling circumstances. You can only get someone off um, someone's 60 player pool, which is why we've seen the two trades the Orioles made, have made so far, both been for players to be named later, likely under the assumption that they'd like to wait till after the season to get, get a prospect that isn't in a pool. Um, so I, I think, you know, it's something where he's going to have the opportunity to um, hopefully reestablish some value. I think, like you mentioned, there are some young guys who are developing that they'll maybe want to protect with um, a veteran like Alex Cobb, have around a veteran like Alex Cobb. So I, I think that's a situation definitely to watch over the next, you know, eight months or so. Nathan, appreciate your time. I think you've added uh, uh, good work to the Orioles beat with the sun. Uh, know it's a different uh, different and difficult environment there for you, but again, appreciate the uh, coverage you're providing. Where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Nathan S. Ruiz. And of course, go to Baltimore sun.com subscribe and and follow our work thanks dave and enjoy the game uh, uh tonight Bye yeah guys. i really appreciate it thanks for having me